Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. Today's Beef Watch Podcast is part of a series of podcasts that we've been recording for the 2020 Silage for Beef Cattle Conference webinar series that was held in July and August and sponsored by Nebraska Extension, Lollaman Animal Nutrition, and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Today's podcast is a producer's perspective on harvesting, storing, and feeding corn silage. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Trey Patterson, who is CEO of the Petalock Ranch, which is located in northern Wyoming. Thanks for joining me today, Trey. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Trey, before we talk about the topic that's at hand today, which is harvesting, storing, and feeding corn silage, tell us a little more about yourself and your role there with the Petalock Ranch, and also give us a little history of the ranch. So my background is a little different than, than some folks that might be in management. I got a PhD in ruminant nutrition and served on faculty at South Dakota State University for five years as an extension beef specialist uh, and then came to Padlock. I've been here about 15 years and Padlock Ranch, uh, we just celebrated our 75th uh, anniversary in 2018. And so a uh, family owned business owned by the Scott family, was founded by a gentleman named Homer Scott and just developed and grew over time. And so today we operate on a little over 430,000 acres of rangeland in northern Wyoming and southern Montana. A fairly extensive cow-calf operation uh, where cows graze out a big part of the year, uh, fairly high cow-to-man ratios, but we also have an, an integrated farm and feedlot operation that goes with the, with the cow-calf operation. And we use our, our farm really to augment the feedstuff needs for both the cow-calf operation, but really especially the grow yard. And we do finish some cattle in our feed yard, but, but primarily are growing cattle from lightweight calves in the fall to uh, yearling weights, you know, eight to nine weight yearlings in the spring of the year. And, and so the crops that we're putting out to support that are, are hay and haylage. And the way we operate that farm is uh, early in June, we will we'll chop our first cutting irrigated crop off as a haylage crop. Uh, that allows us to get water back on that fairly quickly. We get it off and, and then can grow that hay back and get a second cutting that we put up as dry hay. And, and then get the water back on it if, we, if we're blessed with the water, uh, which allows us a, a third cutting haylage crop, sometimes dry hay, but usually conditions are for haylage later in September uh, for that third cutting crop. Uh, and then we've got some dry land crops that we put up as uh, dry hay or <laughs> forage barley. Um, we use forage barley as well in our crop rotations with corn and hay. But really the staple of that, of our, our growing program is corn silage. And uh, we put up corn silage each year. We rotate those fields around with our other crops over time and also to fit with our nutrient management plan for our CAFO that goes with, uh, with that feedlot operation. And so today we're, we're operating uh, in that model. We're still a family owned business, still owned by the Scott family, governed by the Scott family. And my role as president and CEO of the company is, is overseeing the uh, operations and finances for, for the company on an annual basis. So gives you a little background on who we are and what we do. Uh, we can get into some more details as you're ready. 
Well, Trey, let's talk about corn silage. And for most folks, they don't think about northern Wyoming being a location where a lot of corn production would occur. Give some perspective on how corn fits there and specifically corn silage is a good fit for you in your operation. Well, one thing to note about growing corn in northern Wyoming is that we've got a short growing season and uh, we've got to pack as much into that growing season as we can. And one thing uh, that we, we really like about the corn silage product is, is the yields we get per acre. And we're using fairly short duration, short day corn, uh, 86 to 94 day corn. Uh, but in that period of time, given that we've, we've got the water, uh, you know, we're harvesting eight to nine ton of dry matter uh, in corn silage off of those fields and at a very reasonable cost of, of doing that. Talk a little about the process you go through in terms of, you mentioned you've got some rotations in terms of your field, but you also you gave a day length that you focus on in terms of corn silage. What's kind of the management look like of that? Uh, do you custom have that done? Do you do it yourself in-house? How do you store it? And then how does it fit in your rations? Yeah, good question. So we do, we do it all ourselves and we'll stagger uh, the way we plan our fields with different day length corn that helps us in the harvest period. So as, if you can imagine, fall up here can get uh, fairly tenuous in terms of weather challenges as we get out into September in terms of rain, sometimes snow. And so harvesting can be a challenge we need to get going uh, as, as early as we can to get it harvested because we know we're always going to have some delays. So we stagger that day length across fields to be able to uh, anticipate that it may take us a little while to get that silage harvested. Now that, that could be three weeks, it can be a month. Uh, if everything went perfect and we had no breakdowns and great weather, uh, you know, we might be two and a half weeks we could get that crop in. But we anticipate having some time in there and still trying to manage the, the moisture content of the silage, which is really, really important in the storage of it. And so we'll get started. We'll start sampling some fields, usually around uh, Labor Day, and uh, get, get some outside rounds cut, see where our moistures are at, and then, and then dive into it. And we're trying to keep the, the moisture content between 30 and 40% uh, dry matter or 60 to 70% moisture to, uh, to make sure we get a good pack on that. And we'll just work through those fields systematically uh, to get that silage put up. And we, we, so we have our own uh, corn harvester or chopper that we also use for the haylage. And that's a really important point. I mean, those are expensive machines. And so in our system, by using that for a first cutting haylage and then a corn silage, and then a third cutting haylage, we're running more tons through that machine, which dilutes the depreciation cost of that, you know, across more tons of feed and it helps keep our costs very reasonable. But as we harvest that, we're hauling that into our uh, feedlot area where we've got bunkers with sidewalls and a back on, a back on it. And we're, we constantly pack. I think getting a good pack is absolutely critical. We want to make sure that our, our particle size is uh, correct on our chopper uh, to make sure that we're getting a product uh, that we can get packed. And so that, that's dictated by both the moisture content and the particle size. If we've, got that, if we've got that in the ranges that we need, we can get a really tight pack on that. And as we start building that pit, we just build it up and 
continue to pack on it. And then as soon as we get an area that is built, we start laying tarp down on it and put tires on that to keep that anaerobic and uh, to help uh, expedite that leveling off of, um, of the fermentation process. We want a good fermentation, right? But you don't want to sit there spoiling and having a big spoil layer on top. So we want to get it fermented quickly, keep it anaerobic. Uh, and then we have a, a good high quality product that will store if, and if it's done right, we'll store for a long time. Now we usually feed most of, of what we produce in a year, but there are times when, uh, when you don't for one reason or another, and we've stored corn silage for a few years and it's just as good a quality, you know, two years down the road and say it's in the back of the pit, maybe two or three years old on some of that silage that we're pulling out and feeding and, and the quality remains really good if you do a good job of getting it packed in there. I think that is, that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I see, you know, a lot of operations have is getting that is getting it packed right and get keeping it anaerobic, which is really really important. Uh, you can do that, you know, on the on the ground. Obviously, a lot of people do that. You can do it in, you know, vertical um, anaerobic silos and, and so on. But we're putting it in these bunkers, and, and the sidewalls really help get get that pack up against. Um, uh, those walls and, and keep all of the product anaerobic so we get a good fermentation pattern on it. The other thing we're doing as we're, as we're harvesting that corn silage is using a silage inoculant that, that helps aid in that, that fermentation process. Uh, help, it's got some enzymes in it that helps in the breakdown of some of the starch and fiber that's in the corn silage. Um, and, and just doing everything we can to be excellent about the timing of harvest, which goes way back to planting. Uh, when time when you plant the corn, kind of planting those day links to get those moistures correct and maturities right. And, and you know, you think about the day length and, and the harvest time, moistures are, are important, as I mentioned, but you, know, you also want that, that crop, you know, at the right level of maturity because you're getting a, most of your, your yield weight out of those ears. So you want those, you know, you want those uh, ears of corn filling some starch in them, getting in, and that helps the energy value of your silage, but also uh, greatly enhances your yield, but not taking it too far to where your product's too dry to get it uh, packed and fermented. Talk a little about the harvest process. You mentioned you do it all in-house and the importance of getting that product packed well, that silage packed well in the bunker. You know, today's choppers, we can go through a lot of product really quickly how do you try to ensure that what's happening in the field and then what's happening in terms of that chopped product arriving to the pit to pack that whole, I guess, dance, so to speak, is going well so that you don't have it coming too fast, but yet you're moving through the fields in a timely way to get, get that stuff harvested? We just orchestrate that in, in, in a system that we, uh, we time out our trucks that are, are hauling. We're usually using about six haul trucks, uh, just, just, tandem axle trucks that, um, you know, we're hauling in uh, silage uh, systematically. And really with these choppers, <clears throat> you're right. You, if, you've got, if you've got too much <clears throat> hauling capacity, if you will, you can haul that in too fast that you can't get it packed. And, you know, one thing that, uh, that we do using those smaller trucks instead of semis, for instance, it allows us to, to time that out. And, and they just, the, the pattern gets into a, a big circle where it's staggered out so we can keep the efficiency of keeping that chopper running, you know, as many hours as we can during the day and having those trucks staggered so we don't have trucks set up 
uh, all at once. And so it's staggered out over time. Uh, and, and so it just takes really it takes some experience in figuring out and your distance from your uh, from your bunker, et cetera. You know how to stagger those when you start the day uh, to keep that uh, that process rolling. And we'll usually take a, a, a noon hour lunch and let people kind of get rest and get some food. At that time, we service all of our equipment and uh, get the get the chopper blown out and cleaned up and make sure fluids are good. And then and reevaluate how we've been doing in the morning, and then we can start that process over again in the afternoon. Uh, but we roll pretty hard when we when we go at it, and it do, it does come in pretty fast if you if you don't have any hiccups. You know, one of the one of the challenges that we have is getting those trucks through the the field if it gets wet, and so we've got a push tractor uh, that we can push these trucks in in through these fields if it gets a little bit muddy. Uh, to keep them running so we can continue to harvest uh, even in, in somewhat wet conditions, which is really important to us. And, you know, as we, we're looming on frost when we're harvesting. And once you get a hard freeze on that silage, it begins to dry down very, very quickly. And there's a lot of years we, we may not get a frost before silage is done. You know, it's in maybe early October before we get a hard freeze, but we've had it in late August before. And, and boy, you have to jump into gear uh, when that happens because you go from a, a very green, wet crop, you know, with moisture's you know trending correctly to to drying down in a matter of days. You know, we I've seen you know, after a frost, I've seen you know, moisture levels you know drop from from seventy percent to fifty percent, you know, within inside of a week, in three or four days after a hard freeze. So that's something that we're paying attention to. We're watching the weather. And we're constantly uh, measuring moistures, and so we're and we're, we're measuring weights. Uh, we've got a scale as we bring them in, so we can calculate yield. But as we're as we're dumping that silage, we've got a person that is continually sampling that silage and taking dry matter analysis on it. And that gets uh, as soon as that dry matter comes in, uh, it gets it gets uh, texted. That number will be texted to a cell phone of the the chopper operator. Uh, or the foreman who's overseeing the, the operation that day, and they can make decisions on, boy, this, you know, if you've got a field that, that's too dry, we'll try to mix uh, fields. So if we've got some, some crop that's, you know, trending up to, uh, you know, down to 40, you know, 45% or so uh, uh, kind of levels of dry matter, then, uh, boy, we're, moistures are going down and, and we'll blend that with some wetter product uh, to make sure we're we're trying to keep that pit as consistent as we can, but also again just making sure we got the moisture in there to get the pack and fermentation that we need. You know, if the crops are too wet, you know, if we're if we're getting over seventy percent moisture, less than you know thirty percent dry matter, then uh, it starts going the other way. And so we're we're just constantly analyzing that to make sure we're putting the detail that's needed into the system to put the best quality product in the pit. Trey, talk a little about how long you let the silage ferment and then when you open the pit and get started feeding, how does that corn silage fit into your ration there? Well, we'll get that pit uh, built. We're usually feeding uh, corn silage before we start chopping and, uh, and, and feeding kind of straight through all through the winter. And so we'll be feeding some green chop right away uh, and 
not even letting it ferment, but you know, most of that's going to have a, a lot of fermentation on it because we're not feeding a lot of uh, a lot of corn silage on the front end of the of our weaning programs. Usually, we'll have a little bit of silage and some uh, fed cattle rations that we may have out into the fall. Really, as a, a ration conditioner, and we can talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But the We'll bring these lightweight calves in. I say lightweight, you know, it depends on the year and how early we wean. Uh, you know, a year like this, we're having a really dry year. We're going to start weaning calves in late August, and we'll be weaning clear clear up past Thanksgiving uh, before we're finished. Or some years we can wait a little longer. But, um, you know, we're looking at 350-pound uh, calves to five-weight calves kind of through the program. We don't calve until May and June. Uh, so we're calving on green grass and uh, and just managing our cow condition and forage out into the fall. But we'll start these calves on uh, really pretty dry rations, low levels of corn silage, getting them up on feed, uh, especially those really lighter weight calves that we bring in early. You know, say calves off your first calf heifers would be some of the ones we would usually pick on early in the year and get them into the yard. And we're looking at, you know, rations, a starter ration, you know, day one, as those calves uh, come in the yard, it's about only about 5% of dry matter is corn silage. And we're just, we're just throwing a little bit in there to condition the ration and start getting the, uh, that fermented feed. And, and then quickly we start stepping that up as soon as the calves start eating and getting used to it. And usually making about 10% uh, moisture jumps in the ration. So if, you know, if the starter ration is, is 78% uh, dry matter, you know, within a week, we're going to be at a ration that's, uh, you know, in, in the, the high 60s to 70% dry matter. And we go from there. And as we get those cattle stepped up on feed, uh, on silage, and, and these are growing calves. So we're really not changing the energy level in those rations. We're really changing the moisture. And because the, our, our cheapest cost of gains come from these higher silage rations with more silage, more halogen, not these, not the drier rations. So we just start building intakes on them, you know, weaning calves. We're, we're looking at uh, having an intake curve that's increasing, you know, up to 27, 28% of body weight. And as we start building that, uh, those intakes will start uh, increasing the amount of silage, you know, in the final grower ration, uh, may have up to 50% corn silage on a dry matter basis. You could go higher than that, but we're also feeding some haylage as well, um, like, you know, alfalfa haylage. And so well, there'll be another 20% or so alfalfa haylage. So that, that ends up being quite a bit of your, um, your ration and wet feeds. And so we manage that. These bigger calves, I think we can move, you know, later in the year, we can move them a little quicker than some of these lightweight calves. We might, uh, take a little more time and stepping them up, getting used to those wetter feeds, and then just being considerate of ruminal capacity, you know, being able to just to consume that much feed. You know, animals are going to eat to a dry matter basis, uh, but if you get too wet on a really lightweight calf too early, they can just have physically have trouble um, eating that much wet feed, you know, to, to uh, keep their dry matter intakes where they, where they really need to be. So we really manage that, on, you know, based on what cattle weights are and how their consumptions are, uh, but get those stepped up on those silage rations, uh, you know, as quickly as we can. Uh, that's, and quickly as we can, meaning what's right for the cattle, 
because it's sure uh, better on the cost of gains uh, the sooner we get that silage incorporated into the rations. Talk a little more about the conditioning of the ration. What are some of the other ingredients that go into the ration besides corn silage and haylage? Uh, we'll usually we'll usually have a little bit of dry uh, dry hay, some chopped hay in there, and that's uh, that ground hay. You know, will be a, a higher percentage of those starter rations, and then work its way down. Uh, I don't know that that you've got pretty good roughage levels, and you know, silage and haylage, obviously. But that's critical. You can build those rations without dry hay. I tend to like to have a little bit of you know of dry hay in in the ration, even in those final growers, uh, just for for a good scratch factor. And uh, I think it helps keep uh, number one kind of keeps your ration dry matters uh, a, a little more manageable in terms of how how wet those are. And on bigger calves, you can feed a really wet ration, but you also there's a logistical consideration that. Uh, some folks don't think about if you're feeding a lot of calves and that, that's how many loads you got to haul out and the wetter the cattle are eating a dry matter basis, right? So the wetter the rations, the more feed you have to haul. So there's a few considerations there. We'll use a little bit of dry hay. Uh, distiller's grains are, are a, a great uh, augmentation to the silage because one thing, you know, if you think about corn silage, it's a combination of, of grain and forage. And that, that's what makes it kind of a special product and help it work so well uh, in these type of rations. Uh, but the protein's low, and so you need to bring some protein. Now, we get some protein from that alfalfa haylage uh, as well, but the stiller's grains really bring a pretty good load of protein, especially ruminant degradable protein, which these growing calves need. And what you know, research out of the University of Nebraska has shown that these high corn silage diets uh, do not supply, you don't have enough microbial crude protein production uh, to meet the metabolizable protein requirements of the animal. And there, if you think about, you know, why that might be, a, a younger calf that's getting started on a grow ration uh, is putting on a lot of lean tissue, a lot of muscle. And so the protein requirements at the tissue level are higher on, on those animals than animals that are in a stage where they're depositing more fat. So they're building frame, they're building muscle, and, and they need that, that protein. Distiller's grains, you know, if, if it's available, make a great, uh, a great companion ingredient to the corn silage. And we'll use some cracked corn and cracked barley uh, to build some different energy levels in these grow diets as well. So you've got, you've got dry hay, we've got haylage, corn silage, distillers, and, and some other uh, cracked grains, so corn and barley. And then, of course, the supplement pellet. You know, when we're, those rations that we're feeding, we certainly don't need to add any phosphorus. We're really, you know, our supplement is, is really a carrier for some minerals and uh, rumensin, uh, if we're using rumensin in those rations, and, and uh, some calcium, calcium-phosphorus ratio in check. And so the, the diets, um, when, when we get these cattle up on these grow rations, and we can start programming them for different rates of gain, depending on what they are. You know, uh, uh, if we're, if it's developing replacement heifers, for instance, uh, those diets aren't going to have any added grain to them. We've got more energy in the, in the feedstuffs that we're feeding than they really need. And so we're, we're actually maybe diluting those down. They'll have a little more dry hay in them to dilute that energy down. We'll have other, other cattle that say big steers that we can, we can push a little harder uh, in terms of gain and still keep them 
lean enough that, that the buyers can get some good out of them. You know, when you place them in the feedlot or if we retain ownership on them, uh, those will have a little more grain, will run a little more energy in them. Uh, and so, you know, we're also using simultaneously with, with these calf rations, we're using silage and um, uh, putting weight on cold cows. And it's a, it's a great feed stuff uh, to be able to do that as well because of the energy value in it. Uh, and we're also using it in, in some cow maintenance diets, cows that we are feeding out of the feedlots. They are bred heifers that, that come in usually sometime after the first of the year off of grass and we'll feed them limit fed diets that are corn silage based. And if you feed, you know, if you feed that ad lib to a cow, uh, they're going to consume a lot of feed and they're going to get, uh, if, if it's a, a breeder cow, a herd cow, they're going to get, you know, fatter than you need them to, unless you really dilute that out with a low quality ingredient like a straw. But you know what I find, Aaron, is that when you, in, in our part of the world, just if you look at the, the price of straw and the cost per unit of energy in straw, it actually adds to your, your cost per day versus just limit feeding the corn silage. Limit feeding can be a little bit dangerous if you don't know what you're doing and you don't understand the, uh, the requirements of the animals that you're limit feeding and understanding that those requirements change over time, you know, especially for pregnant cattle that are, uh, that are changing in days of gestation, their requirements go up as they near calving. So you have to adjust how much you're feeding uh, to accommodate for that. Also, you have to accommodate, you know, if you get severe weather and you get, you get extreme cold for a period of time, uh, cattle's energy requirements go up. And, and so you have to be able to make those adjustments, but it works, it works really well in that that setting uh, for us and keeps our cost per day cheaper than what it would be if we were just feeding hay to those animals and it's managing cost and we're managing our inventory of, of product of corn silage that we put up we don't have the luxury where we're at to go out and source other corn silage you know we're the only ones putting it up in our area and so we we've got to, to really pay close attention to our inventory have good record keeping terms of what we put up, what we expect for shrink in the pit, uh, and what we're feeding and project to feed out in the future. We'll also use silage in some finishing diets. We do finish some cattle in our yard. Uh, the, the level is, uh, is not as high in that, so we're trying to get as much grain in those cattle as we can, you know, to get the grade and yield on them, you know, in a reasonable period of time. And you're, you're, you're shifting gears in from a growing animal to a finishing animal, and those dynamics change a little bit. But corn silage works great. And you know, one, one real advantage of corn silage in all these rations is just ration conditioning. And the animals, because of, because of the nature of it, you've got, you've got the forage and the grain mixed in this, in this wetter ration. Uh, they can't sort on it. You know, smaller calves tend to sort uh, a, little, a little more heavily than maybe older calves and smaller mouths, et cetera. Um, but boy, and e even when you eat those bigger cattle, though, in a finishing ration, it keeps that ration moist, holds it together, uh, reduces the, you know, the amount of fines you end up in your bunk, which causes bloat and those type of things. So we'll use it really as, a, uh, as an energy and roughage source in our finishing rations. But it, it, a big reason it's in there is just ration conditioning. Uh, it does a lot better job than just feeding a dry hay and corn ration. And through all of these programs, you know, that we're talking about, and really especially on the growing program, you know, a real advantage of the corn silage is our cost per unit of energy 
in our part of the world where there's not a lot of grain production, our cost per unit of energy is cheaper in corn silage than it is in grain corn. And it's cheaper in uh, cheaper cost per unit of energy than what we get from hay. And so as long as you got some protein to feed with that, we can have very, very competitive cost of gains on, on growing calves on corn silage. And as I mentioned, very uh, competitive cost per days and, and cost per day in managing uh, bread cattle, et cetera. So it fits really nicely there. And then that, that conditioning aspect, I mean, you could, you could really mimic the, the nutrient profile to some degree of corn silage by combining corn and say ground hay and that would have a little higher protein content obviously but uh, you can mimic the energy value and the roughage uh, value uh, just combining those ingredients. Corn silage makes uh, such a, a nicer ingredient in terms of holding the ration together, reducing sorting, having fewer bloats, uh, digestive issues and really aids in your bunk management. Well, Trey, it seems like corn silage for you is really a major component of making all those different pieces fit together. Anything else you'd like to highlight on that as we point towards wrapping this up? You know, I, I think the, just to be aware there there are some challenges with it. I think, you know, as a nutritionist, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're doing your own nutrition work or working with a consultant, uh, if you're feeding silage through these pits, you've got to be you got to be sampling fairly regularly. You need to spend a little money on nutrient analysis because you think about you got multiple fields in that pit, and you and, there, and it's not all blended equally as you've built that pit up. So your nutrient profile can change, and your moisture levels can change some as you're as you're moving through that pit. So you know fairly frequent sampling, uh, I think, sure helps to. Uh, to understand what you've got and allow you to adjust those rations uh, as you're as you're going through the year or different programs to make sure you're not out of whack. Extremely important, right, in the limit fed stuff. If you're if you're using it in that setting to understand what you're dealing with, you you may think you're supplying X amount of dry matter and you're and you're you may be under that. But uh, if if your silage is wetter than you thought. And so we'll usually, you know, as we get started and really get into that pit, uh, we'll, we'll sample fairly frequently, maybe every few weeks for a little while. And then we can back that off some, just depending on the variability that we're seeing. And, you know, usually then we get out and, and feed a lot of silage, uh, at least at the very least once a month, getting a sample on that feed and, and understanding what you, what you've got in there. I think, you know, another consideration and a challenge of some folks, managing the face of that pit. And if you, if you just go ram a loader into it, you create these fissures that, uh, that go back into the pit, allow oxygen in, and that's what allows spoilage. And so you want to keep the, you know, the, put some effort in keeping the face of your pit pretty clean. Uh, and, and we use a silage rake to pull silage down in the morning and uh, just out of experience and trial and error, figure about how much we need to pull down. And we're picking that up off right in the front of the pit with the loader and putting the feed trucks and not, uh, not just ramming into those, those pits um, to get silage because it does create areas where you get more spoilage. You know, I think, uh, you know, you talk about challenges with it. You know, I think one of the things you, that we see is, you, is we're trying to incorporate 
more no-till kind of practices and trying to keep our, because moisture is so important to us. We want to keep our moisture and obviously carbon in the soil as much as we can. Um, but, you know, you get out in the fall of the year, you're hauling a lot of, a lot of weight off of those fields with those silage trucks. You can create some ruts and you can create some really kind of compaction in doing that. So that, that's a consideration too for farming systems, you know, that are, that are looking, uh, looking to minimize tillage and so on. Uh, I think there are, it's doable, but there are, we, and we've no-tilled some corn and, and got by pretty well with it, but um, there are times when it's very, very difficult because of the ruts in the field or how, how compacted they were because of the conditions when you're harvesting. I think the, the big thing is when doing working with this corn silage is just really paying attention to the details and quality, you know, using a, a good inoculant when you're putting it in, uh, making sure you got your moistures in the right range, you got your particle length in the right range, and you've got somebody that knows what they're doing on the packer tractor that's shaping that pit and packing it as you build it up, and then again getting it covered and getting the plastic on it. And, you know, I guarantee you the feedlot, uh, your feedlot personnel, you know, don't appreciate having to deal with plastic and tires or whatever you use to cover it because you're constantly having to peel that back and store it so on but it, it pays dividends i believe and you've got a valuable product and you need to do everything you can to to preserve it and if you do all that well you've got a high quality feed stuff uh, that you can feed through the entire season or longer uh, and keep keep your performance levels where you want them to be well thanks again for joining me today trey you better love to do it well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The Silage for Beef Cattle webinar series were recorded, and those are available at the beef.unl.edu website.